Welcome to the VVV Podcast. Today, we are joined by Harrison Hines, CEO and co-founder of Fleek. Fleek Network's objective is to create a decentralized content delivery network, CDN, so that users can serve their content and applications in a censorship-resistant, trustless manner with no central authority controlling it. Fleek Network is peer-to-peer and origin agnostic and offers a low-cost service with blockchain and consensus algorithms. Anyone will have the ability to contribute bandwidth to the network by running a cache node. All content will be IPLD-based and content addressable, creating a public record of the world's bandwidth and content being served, much like how smart contracts bring transparency to financial transactions. So, welcome everybody to another AMA episode. I'm your host, Andy. And our guest for today is Harrison Heinz, the CEO and co-founder of Fleek Network. Welcome, Harrison. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you very much for your time. I hope you can hear me well. I have a new mic set up. Yeah, I can hear you perfectly. Okay, awesome, awesome. Yeah, thank you very much for your time. Um, yeah, in our research department, we work through hundreds of, of projects each week and Fleek Network stood out and caught our attention because you guys are doing something different. Yeah, it's not the typical um, yeah, NFT project or typical uh, layer two application with zero knowledge tech so um yeah we we found that your scope and uh, your project idea is pretty unique in the web free space and yeah we are very excited to learn more about fleek network and also your plans uh, to implement this content delivery network uh, for the web free space um, but before we jump into the project, maybe you could uh, give our listeners a short introduction about yourself and your background and how you got involved into the web-free space. Sure. Um, so I first entered the space in 2016. Um, before joining the space, I'd worked um, with like equity crowdfunding um, and the Jobs Act, and always thought crowdfunding was cool. So then when Ethereum launched, and I saw that the first use case that was really sort of taking off was uh, like these ICOs and crowdfunding, I had an idea to use the experience I gained um, working with in the crowdfunding space and tried to bring some of those sort of best practices and uh, like standards to the kind of token sale ICO space. But back then, uh, the only one that was really funding Ethereum businesses was Joe and Consensus. And I lived in New York at the time. So I met Joe and kind of pitched him the idea. And so then I started my company before Fleek out of Consensus. It was called Token Foundry. And so we did a lot of the token sales for consensus projects or other projects in the space 
through like the ICO days of like the 2017s and 2018. Um, but then as that <clears throat> kind of ICOs were dying down, um, I decided I was way more interested in the decentralized web narrative and decentralizing web infrastructure as opposed to kind of like decentralizing financial infrastructure. And so that's when I left uh, in late 2018 with a few people I had started Token Foundry with. And that's when we decided to start Fleek and focusing on helping like decentralized like just more generic web infrastructure and and things like that. So I'll pause there, but that's a that's a brief introduction. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, so you've been around for a while now with Fleek, yeah, and I understood that you were focused more on the Web two use cases first, and now entering also the Web three space. So. What was the reason to, to focus now back to the, to the Web3 applications? So we'd always been focused on Web3 applications. Um, like our first product or just first, yeah, when we, when we just launched Fleet um, was the IPFS hosting. And so we definitely always skewed to the Web3 application side of things. Um, however, we as Fleek and the legacy Fleek platform is very much a web 2.5 platform. And so it was built, you know, where we're running IPFS nodes on AWS and accelerating content via Cloudflare or Bunny CDN. And so we had always wanted to move to the more web three end of the spectrum, um, but we just didn't feel it was the right time um, or that we had the right approach of how to do it um, for the first or for most of the last three years or so. Um, and it wasn't really until a year or so, like about a year ago, um, after seeing some networks or projects that we're friendly with um, who were successful in, in decentralizing a piece of the stack that people probably weren't sure if it was going to be decentralized. Um, so things like the graph, uh, successfully like launching their decentralized version of their product after basically just having a hosted version of their product for the first you know three years of their life. Pocket Network, another one, decentralizing kind of the RPC side of the, of the the stack um, and being able to do it and see like performance that was as good or sometimes even better than the alchemies and inferas um, and just a lot of breakthroughs in scalability also like the more recent trends of modularity and roll-ups um, gave us like the confidence that uh, we could do it and also just seeing the same issue arise, building on top of multiple different protocols, IPFS, Filecoin, Arweave, the internet computer, like basically anyone, any protocol who's storing files or data, um, most of them just don't factor in performant delivery into their economic models. And so 
they're all stuck needing some performant middleware or caching layer to provide a good developer and user experience to people using those protocols. And so we just saw that, you know, there was a, a lot of centralization around, like in the industry around using Cloudflare. Uh, it's pretty much used by every project, especially ones like in the NFT space or using IPFS or are we, everyone is accelerating their content basically using Cloudflare because there's the old, like there's no other option. It's either you, you query it directly from protocols, which is definitely not performant uh, and user end users would not be happy with the load times if you did that. And so, yeah, there, there's no real legitimate decentralized alternative for content delivery. And so that's where it was just a culmination of a lot of things that finally led us to the point of, of thinking we could do this. And we were in a very like good position and with a lot of good experience to, to try to tackle this part of the infrastructure stack for Web3. Yeah, that's that's really exciting to hear. Yeah, so maybe before we dive into the architecture of of Fleek Network, um, maybe we should take a step back and uh, have a look on on the content delivery network itself. Yeah, because I for myself wasn't familiar with this uh, term, and I've I've learned that it's quite common yeah, in the Web2 space, but could you give our listeners maybe a short introduction? What, what is a CDN and uh, why is it so important to offer it in the Web3 space? Sure. So CDN just stands for Content Delivery Network. And so really why they became a thing is because if you just think about normal web, like, infrastructure or how an app is composed it's like you typically store your files somewhere and so that's typically one location so maybe it's you know aws us west and so now you're that's where your files are stored but now every time someone visits your website anywhere in the world that content needs to be served to them and so it's not performant if every single person in the world is just requesting that content or those files from a server sitting in, you know, California or Seattle or wherever. And so content delivery networks were born to basically say, hey, instead of serving that file out of that, you know, location in, in Seattle every time, um, what if we just cache it in memory in multiple locations, sort of all over the world. And we could have multiple points of presence or like nodes basically in tons of different geographic locations. So this way, every time someone requests a file, they could get it served by the node or the point of presence as used in web two CDNs. They're called like pop locations. So this way the latency is super low and it's actually a lot cheaper because you're serving it from memory. Um, which, yeah, makes it a lot less costly, but also a lot more performant. Um, and also just being as close to the end user as possible to just reduce that round trip time between the end user requesting it and the node or location that's serving them the data. And so basically once that concept was proven, it accelerated like tremendously where CDNs do serve a very like 
considerable amount of web traffic, especially like video traffic. Um, so any apps that like, um, like have a large user base and have a lot of content. So video games, social platforms, video platforms, streaming platforms, or just highly trafficked blogs um, or, you know, news sites or block like things like Medium. Um, they, uh, they consume a ton of bandwidth. Um, and so that's really where CDNs also become like um, super useful is A, like in video games or Netflix or anything like that, making sure the videos load quick, there's no buffering, things like that really matter. But yeah, also from a cost perspective, when you're serving that much bandwidth, uh, CDNs can like reduce the cost for you tremendously. And so uh, that's really how content delivery networks started. But just to expand on that, what you're seeing now in the web is people go beyond just putting content on the edge, where now they're putting all sorts of different things. So like compute, you know, like edge handlers or serverless functions or running Docker images on the edge. Like if you look at a lot of the innovation going on in, in just the web in general, a lot of it has to do with just moving to the edge. So it started with content and putting content on the edge. But what you're seeing now and the trend I think you'll continue to see throughout this decade is that like moving to the cloud was kind of last decade's thing. Now the trend is moving to the edge because it's way more performant. It's actually way more cost effective. And from a security standpoint, it's a lot like better because you kind of, yeah, you don't have just like one central point of failure. So um, Fleek Network is essentially just a decentralized edge network, but we are starting with content delivery because that is kind of our bread and butter. And that is where like the biggest need is in Web3. Um, so why it's important in Web3 is because of what I explained with traditional CDNs. Like if you look at Cloudflare, Cloudflare, Cloudflare alone serves over 10% of all internet traffic. And so as you see these issues with censorship and, and all these things, like Cloudflare is definitely a big central point of failure and like a big threat to censorship resistance for Web3 if they're serving all the traffic and all the content that lives on these Web3 protocols. And you've already seen them, you know, they censored the Tornado Cash app and the, in the past they've censored platforms like uh, 8chan or maybe even 4chan or, you know, I think even Parler when, when everyone was deplatforming them. So, uh, so that's really why it's important is because like for Web3 to really happen, you need to decentralize the full stack um, and right now there is no like infrastructure in the web three stack for performant delivery. And it's not just these file storage protocols. I mean, everyone who uses a smart contract platform is pretty much using, you know, uh, Alchemy or Infura, which is using Cloudflare as well to just accelerate um, requests. When all these data availability protocols launch, they're going to have the same issue where they're storing all this data and making it available, but it's not going to be able to be like served performantly. So every single protocol needs some sort of acceleration layer to meet the expectations of end users using web apps or any apps today in terms of latency, load times, and just providing a good user experience. And so 
yeah, that's kind of, I'll just stop there so you can, but yeah, that's. Yeah, uh, perfect. <laughs> perfect. Yeah, it was very, very important also to, to understand the, the context yeah, behind the, the, the use cases and also the, the requirements yeah, from the market. So I understood that it's not, not just a, a matter of a performance improvement. Yeah, it's also a very important aspect of, of censorship resistance, yeah, especially in the, in the web-free space. Yeah. 100%. Um, when, you, when you talk about um, censorship resistance, it's, it's yeah, let's say, a two-sided sword. Um, we had this discussion also in in other areas, like now with Twitter, yeah, with with Elon's uh, purchase. Um, how how will you prevent harmful content without censoring the content itself? Yeah, because it's it's more or less unstoppable. Yeah, in in a decentralized manner. Yeah, for sure. Um, but we'll just take the same approach, like the decentralized storage networks are taking. Um, where you pretty much obfuscate that so nodes don't have any liability. So they don't actually know what content they're serving. Um, that's also just from a security perspective of like, you don't want someone finding out they're serving like the Uniswap, you know, front end and injecting a malicious version instead. And um, so it's, it serves two purposes. One is, um, so that like the network, like maybe there is some nodes who are caching data that is deemed like, you know, malicious or phishing content or something, but similar to IPFS, it'll just be handled at the gateway layer. So the network is fully censorship resistant. But if you look at like IPFS, anyone can run a gateway, anyone can run a public gateway and allow you know, people to fetch content from IPFS through these gateways. Um, and so Fleet Network will have gateways too, and those might be operated or will be operated by many different parties. And so gateways will ultimately be the ones who have to deal with that. And so that could come down to whatever jurisdiction they're in and their local laws and regulations. But similar to IPFS, if one gateway you're using um, decides not to, you know, serve certain content, you could always switch to an alternative gateway and they might have their own content policy or, you know, go by different rules. And in the future, I think you'll even see decentralized gateways that could run on things like Akash. Uh, and maybe those are controlled by a DAO or, or something. So, um, so that's uh, how we'll handle it as well is basically keep the network as pure and censorship resistance as possible, but handle these other issues at the layers above, um, you know, in the same way some of these other networks do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes absolutely sense, yeah. So talking about uh, the different gateways and, and nodes in your network, uh, could you give us an overview about the, the overall architecture and the different actors in your system? Sure. Um, so the main actors are essentially the cache nodes and the gateway nodes. Um, there are some other smaller roles in the network, um, but those are the main two. 
And so really the gateway nodes are who direct all the traffic. Um, they're like the air traffic controllers for the network. So they can essentially route, like all the requests come into the gateway nodes and the gateway nodes can be run in, in tons of different geographies. There's, there can be a lot and having more gateway nodes, especially geographically dispersed gateway nodes, just allow you to route content and serve content super like performantly. Um, but what the gateway nodes do is essentially they keep track of all cache nodes, especially the cache, cache nodes in their region. And, and region is determined based on like ping times to different uh, gateway nodes. So you, like you can't lie about your location. It's just your location is triangulated based off of like time it takes to, to respond to different pings from different uh, gateway nodes. But then those gateway nodes essentially know every cache node and every essentially piece of content they have cached. So this way, like if you think about it in comparison to like IPFS, one of the reasons IPFS is slow is because if you ask an IPFS node for content and they don't have it, they just ask their peers. And then if their peers don't have it, that those peers ask their peers. And it just continues to ask throughout the network until you finally find the file. And that's why sometimes it can take very long if you're not peered properly, but you don't want to be over peered because then, you know, you'll be using a lot of like unnecessary bandwidth and it'll slow your performance down. So anyways, in Fleek Network, the way you get around that issue is if you just know exactly where to go the first time. So basically these gateway nodes will keep track of all the cache nodes, the content they claim to have cached. And then when a request comes in, they can essentially route it to one or several of the closest cache nodes to the user to then serve that content. And so that's really where the cache nodes come in. And that's why it's cool because while gateway nodes might require some more sophisticated infrastructure and setup, cache nodes in theory could be run even on a laptop as long as you had a decent internet speed and upload speed. Um, and what the cache nodes do essentially is just serve the actual content to the users uh, requesting it. And so both roles in the network get paid. That request and how much is paid per request and what the split is between the gateway and the cache node, that'll be something the DAO sets. Maybe there are some initial parameters, but ultimately the DAO will be in control of how that uh, split happens. The gateway will probably get a lower percentage than the cache just because the gateway is involved in a lot more transactions than a typical cache node. But those are the basically the main two nodes in the network. Um, and so you could think about it kind of like these different hub and spokes where you have different gateways and they, and those are like these like just kind of hubs. And then you have the cache nodes, which are essentially all the spokes connected to the different hubs. Um, who are ultimately serving the content. And so one thing that differentiates cache nodes from a lot of other like storage network nodes is leak nodes on purpose do not store anything. They just cache things in memory. And the reason you do that is because it's much faster to serve it and grab it basically. Um, 
and also it's a lot cheaper. And so really like with, with the, the way a CDN works is essentially like you give the CDN a bunch of URLs and you say like, here's the, basically the files I want accelerated. And that URL essentially points to where it's stored. So same thing with Fleek Network, you could give us URLs and those could point to AWS S3. They could point to IPFS. You know, if you're using a pinning provider, they could point to Filecoin or we've whatever. We're agnostic to the origin of where this file is stored. But what's cool about Fleek Network, um, and that's why we don't need, well, to finish on that point, that's why we don't need to guarantee persistence because that's not what we do. If a file is no longer requested, like it'll eventually fall off the network. But if it's ever requested again, like a traditional CDN, then the first time that cache node would just then go fetch it from the origin, like go fetch it from S3 or IPFS or Filecoin or whatever. And then it would like populate onto the CDN again if it starts getting requested again. But that's the whole benefit of a CDN is like we're it like is almost like a living organism like it changes and the content that is cached changes based on the requests happening on the network or from inter from the internet. Um, but the other cool thing about Fleek Network compared to traditional CDNs is there's a second type of way you could have content accelerated. In addition to just like the HTTP, like give us a URL, we'll accelerate that content. And this goes back to the point of making sure it is censorship resistant. Because using that traditional HTTP like way of accelerating content, you are still kind of at the mercy of DNS. And so it's very easy to censor because you know they could just censor you at the DNS level. And um, so for Web3 protocols like Filecoin, Arweave, et cetera, we will do a direct integration. So if you wanted to accelerate content and like you didn't want to have to worry about the DNS censorship issue, for those protocols, we do a direct integration. So we can grab the content directly from a node in one of those networks rather than have to go through HTTP and DNS. And so that would make it super censorship resistant because then like there's no kind of reliance on, on any of those like web two protocols to go fetch it um, and so that is definitely another like unique benefit of Fleek Network compared to traditional CDNs, especially for the more Web3 focused and censorship resistant conscious users. So I'll just pause there for a sec, but yeah. Okay, yeah, that's, that's really interesting, yeah. Um, do you have in plan to, to launch your own name service? No, we don't. Um, like... Everything is IPLD addressed in Fleek Network. So like it's content addressed. So like, like in our opinion, IPFS is probably the most powerful naming system in Web3 um, because it's just content like generated. And I think, you know, one of the benefits of IPFS people like best is the, using it basically as a naming service. It's like this hash maps to this content. Um, and the fact that it's unique to that piece of content, I think is really powerful. So similarly, like we are kind of just leveraging that part 
uh, like the content addressability for Fleek Network. But like, could you, could we do integrations to things like ENS, where in addition to giving us like a DNS URL to accelerate in the future, you might be able to give us an ENS URL or subdomain mm -hmm. or, you know, like file path and us be able to natively like resolve and, and accelerate that. Yeah, for sure. That would be possible. And that's pretty like easy. And we have a lot of experience with that, with our ENS features on the fleet platform. So that definitely could be a cool uh, thing, but yeah, our approach similar to like being origin agnostic is we would just be naming service agnostic as well. Um, but yeah, um, no plans for our own naming service. Okay. Okay. Thank you. So um, talking about your different nodes, um, are they fully permissionless on each level or is there some kind of, of limitations here? Cache nodes are fully permissionless. For the gateway nodes, um, that will probably require a DAO proposal and successful like passing. Um, and the reason for that is just because especially as we're taking a bit of a progressive path to decentralization, um, there are certain things that the gateway nodes have to do that like just require more time to figure out how to do it in a, in a foolproof way, um, in a fully decentralized way. Um, part of that is they report the, basically the activity of the cache nodes to the network. And so making sure that can't be gamed is, is one thing, but also it does require like running some DNS like infrastructure and things like that to serve as an access point to the network. So that one might, it might not be like, it is permissionless, but you, you need permission of the DAO and token holders basically that you're a good, you know, gate like similar to how like, other networks, um, like a live peer, for example, you know, to like, you, you kind of have to like, uh, show your legitimate operator, um, mm -hmm. to then be voted in as one of the gateway. So yes, that's, um, that's the only difference. I understand. I understand. Um, so maybe you could share a little insight how, how far your development currently is. So yeah. I've, I've tried to find some kind of a roadmap. Um, maybe you could give us an, an update yeah, about the progress of your development. For sure. And a proper roadmap will definitely go out in the next few weeks. Um, the network runs today. It, there's definitely a lot of work still, but... Um, the main, like, we'll probably do a testnet um, or a devnet for sure will happen in January. That will probably be without the token and consensus um, or at least, like, the communication to the L2 for, like, the reward and payouts and stuff. And then we'll probably do a testnet in, let's say, March, um, maybe in uh, <clears throat> some sort of incentivized testnet or something in... April or May, and then shooting for a mainnet release in June. Um, and so that's the rough timeline. Um, the roadmap for sure in the next few weeks will be a lot more accurate, but it looks like that's what it'll be. 
Um, in terms of features, V1 will definitely have the content acceleration. Um, but then we are working on some cool features um, as just additional edge services that could really complement that well. Um, like I was mentioning, things like edge handlers or serverless functions or just things that are very like um, front-end focused. Like we would never compete with some of the more like compute-heavy protocols and smart contract platforms. But if you think about all the compute related to like your front-end app, you know, server-side rendering, things like that, um, those things can make a lot of sense um, for Fleek Network to add as future modules. But in terms of just the content delivery, um, that'll for sure be um, what's rolled out with the V1 mainnet. Okay, interesting, interesting. So when I when I think about this this idea of of the performance uh, improvements, yeah, with the <clears throat> uh, content uh, delivery. Um, I can I can imagine it's quite straightforward if we talk about a, a video, yeah, or a audio stream, yeah, because it's it's a linear information. Um, how how difficult is it to provide dynamic content, especially if if we talk about yeah smart contract informations and interactions? Is is there something specific that we need to consider here? Um, it definitely requires a little bit more work to do it well for dynamic content. So V1 will definitely be like more static content focused, but yes, it is very much within the realm of possibility and is a pretty like well like adopted practice to accelerate like all sorts of things with a CDM. It could be APIs, like could be so like even Alchemy and Infura, they all are using um, Cloudflare or some other essentially like performant cache layer, even to serve RPC requests for Ethereum or other smart contract platforms, because unless it's a, a call, like a get call for the last block or two, the large majority of those requests are just being served from a database. And so those are essentially just like, yeah, they can just cache those requests that they know aren't going to change on a CDN and serve them from there. So the, the request time is faster and, and again, it's cheaper. Um, so yeah, we've had a lot of interesting calls with like protocols like LivePeer who, you know, if you look at LivePeer Studio, they have to accelerate LivePeer with Cloudflare. So they want to switch that out and let Fleek Network accelerate it. So I do think that in the future, as we add more features where it is more useful, uh, even for, for things like dynamic content, um, that like there could be a lot of different protocols uh, and you know, different data structures or, or, or use cases beyond just files where, where Fleek Network can be like a legitimate option for content acceleration. Um, so yes, and it's proven with web two CDNs. It just, it requires a little extra work to, to just make it like a really good experience and performance, but, um, it's definitely like something that's, that's done and proven. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Thank you. So 
<clears throat> as far as I understood, um, you will launch your own blockchain yeah, for this use case, ah. or will you build on top of an existing layer one? Yeah, exactly. So it'll be set up much in the same way a live peer or the graph are, where um, our token and our governance will exist. Like the token might be deployed on Ethereum, but like the governance and the DAO and reward payouts will all happen on a layer two. Um, we haven't made a final decision on which layer two. Um, we were kind of, there was a change that was supposed to go in the next Ethereum upgrade that didn't make it in. Um, but we've been talking with a few layer twos that might push it through forward. It's just around BLS signature verification. Um, so that would really sway our decision if one of them actually does go through and add that early for us. Um, but then, yes, we basically just have, it's a set, like Fleek Network, it's not a full roll up, but it does like follow a lot of the same design patterns. The only difference is we also like, the only difference between Fleek Network and let's say like what a traditional roll up is considered is we still do have our own consensus the nodes within the network to kind of come to consensus on what data is being served. So I would call it kind of like, but we still do roll up the data to a layer two, and then that's how rewards and everything get distributed. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's our own protocol, but it like rewards and governance and the token we leverage a layer two for. So our network just worries about essentially the content like the edge network itself. But that's very similar okay. to what I appear in the graph for setup. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I understand, I understand, yeah. What, what is your take on this next generation monolithic chains, yeah? Like Aptos or Sui, yeah. could this be an option for you or no. do you don't see any, any useful uh, usage for your application there? So we didn't need it for like the fleek <clears throat> governance. And for that, it was really like, it made no sense for us to consider anything besides EVM. Um, but what I will say is similar to like Chainlink and the graph and others, we will deploy a payment contract on pretty much every smart contract platform. We've been looking into some of these like layer zero type newer solutions, Axelar, who promise like, you know, an omni-chain token or things where maybe you wouldn't have to deploy a contract on every chain, but you could accept payment and easy usage from users or contracts on any chain. But it still seems like that's a bit early. So for now, we probably just will go the route of deploying a contract on, you know, definitely all the EVM chains to start and then, you know, add support for the other ones as we go. But yeah, that's just basically, so if you want to pay out of a DAO or from a contract, you know, easily from the chain of your choice, you can. Um, and we're essentially, you know, just making that easy in the same way Chainlink does for all the different chains. But yeah, we didn't need something that crazy um, for our needs. Um, most of it, like, yeah, we could just handle using the roll-up logic and you know, just like, we still like, yeah, we like, you know, depending on how many nodes you have, you basically have to just update 
the balance of those nodes every time you roll up. Um, so you don't have to send a transaction, but you still have to update a lot of like database entries in the contract for their balances for each node. But yeah, for now, the layer two, it's, it's good enough and it's, it's cost, it's, it's, yeah, like we definitely couldn't do it if we were rolling up directly to Ethereum, but being able to do it through a layer two um, and benefit from the fact that we're sharing the gas costs with others that then roll it up to Ethereum, uh, it worked pretty well. But yeah, the decision, like we like, we like Mist and Labs, we use their Narwhal and Bullshark consensus for the Fleek Network consensus between the cash nodes and the gateway nodes. Um, so we like their their tech we think narwhal and bullshark is like especially like very like uh like very exciting from a consensus algorithm perspective um mm -hmm. but yeah we very much think that things are going fully modular and these monolithic chains event like ultimately just won't be able to compete with roll-ups and just the scalability and specialization you get there Great, yeah, agree, agree, absolutely. Yeah. So we also see the modular chains as, as the future because you have the flexibility yeah, and also those app-specific solutions uh, bring yeah, a big benefit also for the adoption yeah, in different sectors. So um, maybe you could also tell us a little bit about uh, your token utility. Yeah? You touched on a DAO. For example, will will there be only a single token in your system, or will you have different governance token and other utility tokens involved? Um, <clears throat> that's the. I would say definitely there will only be one token, but I could like you know maybe for some reason we decide to separate the like like kind of how. Ethereum has gas and, and ether, maybe we have like, uh, maybe it's not like it's similar to gas where it's just a unit of account, but not necessarily like a fungible token um, for paying for bandwidth and you kind of need to convert the fleet token there. But that just could be for like a node, you know, profitability and account, like accounting perspective and, and things like that. But, um, but really like, For now, we're, we are modeling a decent amount uh, off-pocket network just because it's a bit similar in terms of network architecture and we're quite, quite close with them and I um, think they did a pretty good job, but we are making some tweaks just on the learnings we've had from seeing them launch, Filecoin launch, what went well, what didn't. Um, if we need to incentivize such a big supply side from the beginning, um, or just grow more in line with, with demand. Um, but yeah, like, sim like you basically have to stake to, op to become an operator on the network, both cash nodes and gateway nodes. Um, then basically you get paid um, for each successful request served. And like which cash node basically gets paid is the one who gets the content served the fastest. So it's very much aligned to incentivize the best performance and lowest latency as possible. Um, and then if you're a consumer of bandwidth, like you're an app 
who wants to use the CDM, you essentially prepay. Um, so that's one change we are making from Pocket Network's model is in Pocket Network, you essentially stake and that gets you a certain number of requests per month or per day or whatever it is. Um, however, we just felt like that's a bit confusing because you're like paying through inflation versus just paying. And then, you know, like um, it just felt like a prepayment more like Filecoin deals where, you know, you want X number of gigabytes of bandwidth, you can prepay it. And then when it gets lower, you can replenish it. So this way you're just kind of paying like you would almost a Web2 CDN and not need to worry about staking or inflation or anything like that. Um, and so that's the main uses of the token for governance. Yeah, we are like kind of exploring some cool things where like there's things like Otter Space or, you know, like other like mechanisms where you could use a soulbound token or an NFT for more governance and who can vote on things. So we are looking into that, but that's very much uh, still in the figuring out stage and still very much kind of just at the mercy of our lawyers and doing what's safest for the network uh, from a regulatory standpoint, given all the recent kind of uncertainty and recent rulings with like the library case to make sure that we just kind of make sure we don't do anything to put the network in jeopardy. So, uh, mm. so that yeah. can imagine it's, yeah. it's quite a, a difficult time now yeah, to take those decisions yeah, because it's, it's yeah, also not clear yeah, how to do it properly. Yeah. yeah. So maybe we can't do everything we want to, at least not at launch, but you know, we just want to make sure we, get the network out, it's sufficiently decentralized, all those things, and then, you know, empower the DAO to make whatever future changes it needs. Perfect, perfect, yeah. So I, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, so we are now 46 minutes into this AMA. Is it okay for you to continue with a few more yeah, uh, user sure. questions from the community and then wrap it up, yeah? Yeah, that's perfect. Excellent. Thank you. So let's see. We also received some questions from the community. I will also have a look on the list that we received and also in the chat. So if you have some questions, just post it in our comments on the Twitter spaces. Meanwhile, I will go through the list and check if we have missed some important questions. So... Um, one of our community members was asking about IPNS. I think it's announced that it will come soon as a service. And uh, could you explain what, what it is and when uh, is the beta planned? Sure. <clears throat> so that's basically for the Fleek platform. Um, so Fleek Network, you can kind of think of as like, the underlying infrastructure and the Fleek platform is, is just like a normal web three development platform, but you know, we'll for sure surface Fleek network, but also other protocols there like we do now. Um, but so for the new platform we've been building that does launch like early 2023, um, we are starting to roll out betas for some of those 
services and features um, that'll be on the new platform. And so IPNS is one of the first. And the reason it's one of the first is because it's a piece we use in our IPFS hosting product, especially as it relates to uh, ENS usage within that IPFS hosting product. But essentially IPNS stands for just interplanetary naming service. So IPFS is just the interplanetary file system. Um, so IPNS is just like the interplanetary naming system or service. Um, and so essentially what it allows you to do and how we use it is like when you wanna hook up an ENS name to your site, um, you have to put a content record similar to DNS of like where this ENS name should point to. And so you can use an IPFS hash, but the issue with using an IPFS hash is then every time you push a new deployment or change anything about your site, the IPFS hash is going to change. So then you need to basically submit another on-chain transaction until you know ENS adds good layer two support, like especially in the bull market days that was quite expensive. And so what IPNS essentially enables you to do is to have a mutable essentially like hash where you can then update what it points to. And so instead of like giving you an IPFS hash and then requiring you to do an on-chain update every time you deploy a new site, you just have to set this IPNS hash or key once um, and then you can update that IPNS to point to always the most current version of your site's IPFS hash with your IPNS key. And so that, while we use it for sites, there are a lot of projects out there who have the same problem. Like they wanna use IPFS, but they need to be able to change that, the content it points to. And so IPNS is just like a, a, a solution a lot of people use in those circumstances. And so one of the cool parts about the new platform is it's very flexible. Um, so like in the current platform, things are very rigid. So you can't like use our IPNS service just as a standalone service. It's kind of like, you can only use it within the context of like the hosting and, and hooking up an ENS name. But so for the new platform, it's the complete opposite where every feature is basically its own standalone thing and you could access it however you want and use it however you want or whatever pieces or, or parts of it you want. And so that's really what the IPNS service is for. But yeah, there are projects um, who use it in various uh, circumstances or use cases um, for that exact purpose of being able to like basically have one consistent record or hash that can be updated to point to newer or different IPFS hashes over time. Um, so yeah. Okay, thank you, thank you. Another question, um, what measures do you have in place to limit DDoS attacks, especially at the gateway node level? Yeah, so that's a really good one. And I'll be honest, I'm probably not the best person to answer that question, but I will say there are a few ways we're dealing with it. Um, ascent, well, actually, you know what? I'm going to ask, Dalton, do you know, how are we preventing DDoS attacks at the gateway level? We're using bloom filters as one of them, but 
Um, Hold on, I'm gonna put you guys on the speaker. All right, you know what? I'm just gonna. Uh, All right. Basically, we're doing a number of things. The white paper touches on some of them, um, but essentially, like similar to just traditional, and this is why the gateway node role probably will require like DAO approval and to submit a proposal. But in those instances, besides some things we can do that might be unique, um, given the economic model or things like that, um, or leveraging the token or staking, like for example, um, like DDoS attacks, I think bloom filters is one way we're looking into it, but um, those actually, we will borrow a lot from traditional CDNs. Um, and essentially like just looking at IPs and where like if a lot of requests are coming from certain IPs, we could just like the, there could be rules established at the sort of protocol level for all, all gateway nodes to follow that just, you know, the new gateway node would have logic where there could be built in DDoS protection where, yeah, you could just basically throttle certain IPs or kind of configure whatever rules you want and even apply it to like at the application or, or URL level. Um, but there are cooler things, but yeah, I'm, I'm like, if you ask in our discord, I will ping like some of the core protocol devs, especially the ones working on the gateway and they could give you a much better answer. But while we're on the topic, just so you can understand like things we are doing, like phishing while different from DDoS, like that is something where I said like, we're looking into unique things we could do, um, where if you uh, prepaid for bandwidth um, and then we are detect phishing, like we will, we will add like a slashing mechanism, not only on like nodes who lie about content they're caching or, or different th or content they served or things like that. Also on the consumer of bandwidth side, if we catch an account that turns out to be phishing, we could implement a slashing mechanism to essentially slash their prepayment of bandwidth of whatever amount it was or, or things like that. So if there's opportunities to also do that on the DDoS side, we will. Um, but yeah, that's something that probably would be handled more at the gateway or higher levels, more so than at the network level itself. Because like, okay, like, and one interesting thing is because like the network doesn't really care because like basically that's just more traffic for the network. Um, but the application who's getting DDoS is going to care because similar to like, if you get DDoS today, like you're paying as the app operator for that traffic. Um, so that's really where at the gateway level or potentially even at like the layers above um, where that will most likely get handled. I see, I see, mm -hmm. makes sense, yeah. So, um, I see another question here concerning privacy problems like IP address leaking, especially on the cache node level. Do you see any privacy risks here? So, yes. Um, well, no, not at that level. 
um, because again, that will probably be obfuscated. Um, however, it's definitely like, it's an issue with, I would say, well, it goes two ways. So one of, the cool, one of the things we're most excited about for Fleek Network is actually bringing transparency to request data. However, we understand, like, but we would definitely not, like, say, like, this IP address, whatever, but that, like, a certain subset of data, and you can prove this, and we could either use, like, different mechanisms, or that just be the way the nodes work, and we can verify if they're running that node software or works that way. But um, we do want, like, the whole promise of Web3, and especially, like, the whole like decentralized social thing is separating content from or data from like a specific interface. And that's great. But then like a lot of the algorithms that power most of these platforms is based off of that like interface request data. And so, you know, how many views something gets or how many likes or something. And so What's cool about Fleet Network is like the coolest part about Web3 right now is, you know, being able to go to Nansen or Dune Analytics and just be able to surface like all sorts of data, but it's mostly all backend data. And so with Fleet Network, it's like, imagine if Cloudflare's request data set was, was like sort of anonymized, but open. Um, then you'd be able, like, you know, you could on a content level, or an NFT level, you could have a view similar to Google Analytics where you could say, okay, this NFT is 60% of the time being viewed in OpenSea or 20% you know, of the time being viewed on this platform. And most of it is being viewed in this part of the world or whatever. And that could be really interesting data that people could use to then build algorithms to understand what content to surface in their own platforms, especially for decentralized social and things like that. Um, but we understand that, like, we do think we'll do pretty well just uh, convincing Web2 companies to use Fleek Network, not even for the Web3 benefits, but just on cost and performance alone, we think, like, we'll be very, very competitive or way lower priced with equal or maybe slightly better performance than uh, these Web2 CDNs. Um, and we know that they probably won't want to, like, have their request data for their website be completely open for anyone to see. So what, the way we're building it is, so you would have two options as like someone coming in to request, like to use the CDN, you would have an option to like, basically keep that request data in a certain, you know, private or fully anonymized form or fully open. Um, but that is definitely a sensitive area and we're trying to figure out the best way to navigate it. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's definitely an exciting, like we feel, we definitely think it's exciting if like similar to blockchains and the backend data, um, you can start to making the front end request data of the internet more open and transparent. Mm -hmm. yeah, that, that opens up really interesting use cases. Yeah. yeah that's, that's a great, a great vision. Yeah. So, um, talking about um, fees, yeah. How how are the fees calculated in the system, or on, on which metrics are they based? 
So to start, it'll probably be solely on gigabytes per bandwidth or like gigabytes of bandwidth. Um, so like basically just fully bandwidth based to start. If we add other modules and services that require compute um, or like, you know, we are working on some cool things where we think that using a combination of Fleek network and underlying storage networks like Filecoin, Arweave, et cetera, that we could completely eliminate the need for like centralized IPFS pinning. Um, because IPFS really is not a storage layer. That's not what it was intended to be. Um, but the problem is there just wasn't good linkage between like an IPFS hash and an underlying like storage layer or origin of where the file is actually stored. But that's essentially what Fleek Network does. It's like you give us a URL for what the origin is and you know we're essentially able to generate an IPFS hash for you. And then you know if gateways were built on top of that IPFS gateways, you'd be able to just see if it's on the cache layer. If not, go fetch it from the origin. Um, so, um, so yeah, there might be you know other settings in the future where you can pay additional and maybe adjust your TTL or you know kind of guarantee more persistence, even though we probably would never guarantee persistence, but there could be other things. Um, but really it's, it'll just be bandwidth based. So you're just paying what that price is. It'll probably be set by the network. And to start, it'll just be some arbitrary amount that makes sense. Um, but uh, yeah, that basically will just kind of be a role of the DAO to kind of just monitor the network and understand like what makes sense. Um, but I definitely think we will be at least like, you know, three to five times cheaper than what Cloudflare is. Um, Cause similar to what you're seeing with like Akash or Filecoin or some of these other decentralized infrastructure networks, um, you know, these traditional cloud providers, whether it be AWS or Cloudflare, they're marking up the actual cost like many, many times, but also, you know, their biggest cost to run a service like Cloudflare is the human cost to go set up and manage infrastructure, especially for a CDN in all these different locations globally. Uh, and that's why you never see them go above like 200 to 300 pop locations or for the more like newer application delivery networks or edge networks like a Netlify or a Vercel or a fly.io where they're doing more than just content on the edge and they're doing some light compute and stuff. They never really go above like 20 to 30 locations. And again, it's because it is, that's their biggest cost. And so to go above that, even though they would get performance gains, it would probably not outweigh the cost like additions they would add for running the infrastructure, managing it, paying people to manage it, like stuff like that. So yeah, that like for sure we have to wait before we could give like exact prices. Um, but we could actually like give an exact price and just let kind of the network early inflation rewards kind of be able to back into that price. Um, and I think that's one of the coolest parts of Web3 networks is we could use the initial token inflation rewards to kind of kickstart and keep the, the price 
low or maybe even like negligible or free um, during the adoption phase of the network. Mm -hmm. Do you also plan to, to offer some developer grants for early yeah, adopters? Um, that'll definitely be a big focus of the foundation as soon as it's set up um, in early 2023 um, is given how much restriction there is on ways you could distribute, you know, a token or things like that. Um, like we for sure are going to lean heavily on, on grants and partnerships. So, you know, people already building on these existing storage platforms or building web three use cases or platforms, whether it's NFT marketplaces, music and like uh, games, you know, um, or if they're already using or facilitating usage of the different protocols, especially the storage ones. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of cool partners because the cool thing is everyone needs hosting and performance delivery. Um, doesn't matter if you're DeFi, NFTs, GameFi, you know, whatever use case it is, um, everyone needs those things. Um, and so there's a lot of cool and potential partners. And yeah, we're origin agnostic. We're smart contract platform agnostic. So this is really a product and, and like services that almost every project in the web three and web two space needs and uses. So um, yeah, there's a wide range of projects that could be eligible for grants. Um, and also people who want to add functionality to the network, like, I was saying those direct protocol integrations to things like Filecoin, Arweave, like we probably won't build all of them. Um, so there's definitely going to be a lot of opportunity to not only um, be like a consumer or, you know, replace Cloudflare with Fleek Network for projects, but definitely um, I would assume a big focus of grants would be on, you know, people who want to build out cool things uh, on top of or, yeah, just adding integrations and things for a fleet network. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. That's really exciting. Yeah. To see all the possibilities. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one of the final questions um, is how, how big is your development team and are you hiring? Um, yes, we are hiring. Um, we're at about 30 people right now. So I'd say that's probably 20 devs. And then um, the rest are like marketing, BD, design, more PM operations. Um, but that 20 is split because we have the Fleek Network team. And then separately, we have the Fleek.xyz team, which is like the platform. Um, and so like, yeah, it's pretty evenly split between those two uh, in terms of devs. Um, so yeah, definitely we are, uh, we're still hiring. Okay. How, how can people get in touch with you if they are interested to learn more about the project and, and different possibilities to contribute? Uh, the Fleek Discord or Twitter, um, but Fleek Discord is definitely a good option. And if it's not a question or something you want to discuss in one of the public channels, you could just, um, there's a collaboration um, like a uh, category and you can submit a ticket and then only the fleet team will see those. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So 
Harrison, thank you very much for your time. It was really very interesting to learn about this amazing space yeah, of, of the content delivery networks. And I've learned a lot and I'm sure our listeners really enjoyed your time and your insights. And yeah, I hope we can also contribute here yeah, to your test net. So we will keep in touch and maybe talk to you again yeah, when you reached the next milestones. Yeah, that, you know, that, we would love that. And also for any of the people who asked some of the more technical questions that I wasn't able to answer like as good as I would have liked to, I would highly encourage them to message in Discord and interact directly with some of the protocol devs as they would you know, definitely be way more informed and be able to just talk you through all those things. Thank you very much, yeah. So it was great to talk to you and hope to hear you soon. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot. And thank you very much to the listeners. And please uh, leave a like and a retweet to spread the word about Fleek Network. It was really great to, to hear all those amazing possibilities. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Harrison. Bye bye. This recording has been prepared and made available by VVV. It is for informational purposes only and should not be considered a solicitation to sell, buy or subscribe to any financial instruments or products. VVV does not express any opinion as to the present or future price of any instrument mentioned in this recording. The information provided in this recording is believed to be valid and accurate on the date it is first published but VVV, along with its directors, officers and employees, does not accept any liability for any loss arising from the use of this information as it may change in the future without notice. Any decision made by a party after listening to this recording shall be on the basis of its own research and not based on the information and opinions provided by VVV.